I also have to apologize. Oh, I have to apologize if um on the video you can see my nose studs like coming out of the front of my nose because I, I didn't yeah. notice, but that is an amazing intro to the podcast. That's the first thing people will listen to. Shit. I mean, <laughs> no, that's me. Fine. Hi, Sophia. How are you? Apart hey, Dan. I'm really it, what, like, have you, is, You've always had your nose pierced, though, right? You, For, I, this, since I've known you. And then this one, yes, but it came out. Okay. So I went to get it redone and thought, why not get a second as well? Oh, apologies. I hadn't noticed your second. That's why. Yeah, so I've got one on each side, one in the middle. Well, I'm I'm so glad that people have the opportunity to watch this because obviously they're just the first thing they're going to look for now. As well as listen to this, they're going to go look for that on the video as well. Because Spotify have that new function now. When you upload a Zoom file, it uploads the video as well. I didn't is, know that. It is kind of like YouTube-ish, although I don't know anyone that actually sits on Spotify to watch videos. No, me neither. But people might start. People might start just to see this. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but you have to get them pierced with bigger bars so like they just poke out and it's really attractive but anyway I can't see it. I'm, I'm fascinated now I can't see it but I will have to like zoom in and have a look at a minute yeah there's no biggie though oh no it's no drama I'm clearly not asked. it's just you do literally have to visibly show your nostrils as I did that then I was like oh my god I'm gonna show bogeys or something <laughs> My, my nose is clear. I, I know you would tell me. I've just been on a taking Daisy for a mega dog walk, which is one of the many reasons why I wanted to get you on and, and have a chat was your your love for dogs. And yeah. I think a newly converted Cocker Spaniel lover as well. Oh, my gosh. They are like every breed is so every dog is unique, but then breeds have their like similar traits. Yeah. And when I see you with it's did you say is it it's Daisy, isn't it? Daisy. Yeah. When I see you love with Daisy. Life. They are, aren't they? <laughs> and I have like four spaniels that I look after because on top of everything else, I decided to set up a dog boarding business last year. Why not? Why um, not? You're not busy enough. That's why. No. And like <laughs> people were asking me to look after their dogs and I'm like, okay, but I need to do it officially. Mm. So I've got a license, set up, had hundreds of inquiries. And that was the point where I was like, fuck, like this is not a good idea. <laughs> And that is my litmus test, one of my litmus tests for as a good human. They have to like dogs, or at the bare minimum, Daisy has to love them because if Daisy Daisy loves everyone, so if Daisy doesn't love you, we have issues. Mm. There must be something off. Even if I haven't spotted it, if she'd spotted it, there's not something right there. No, I get that. And every time I see Daisy, I'm like, I know she'd love me. Like, you know, when they <laughs> push their face on you. Yeah, no personal space. But it like all spaniels do it, and some mm. cockapoos do it, but some don't because obviously they're the mix. So it, yeah, spaniels, amazing yeah. dog, lovely temperament. She's she's so great with the kids. I can't possibly put into words because we were originally. I probably bored you with this before. We were going to get a Pomsky. Same as Apollo. Is, is Apollo a Pomsky? Yeah, he's small. Look. I've just realised, by the way, apologies, apologies to anyone listening. I'm going to turn my fan off. Everyone fan. thinks he's big, but he's like, he's probably... He's more husky than Pomeranian, though. Oh, right? my gosh, yeah. But yeah. this is the thing with the crosses. Like, he's one that people didn't want because he's, he's not beautiful. Great. He knows he's beautiful. You can't really see him because of my... 
he's a oh god he's literally when I say he's got me through some of the hardest times of my life it's not an exaggeration mm. and we got Susan the pug the rescue pug I don't know where she is you know, I love dogs with human names and I know that as a daisy but like Susan I've got a friend that has a cat called Steve <laughs> Steve the cat Steve the cat and I know a Dave the dog as well and That's also know it I know a Difa the dog as in oh. Difa dog yeah, 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 I get it. Yeah. I've got a Norman who is a Spaniel, which is great. But yeah, we got Susan because my husband was genuinely concerned if anything happens to Apollo, like I would have to have something. How long have you had Apollo? He's eight now. Oh, yeah. Well, but we don't like, talk about him being old, so. No, because their class is, Daisy's seven, the class is mature dogs after seven, aren't they? Which is really sad. Yeah, yeah. let's not, let's, no, let's not. No, in no, fact, no. the dog chat, let's save some of that. But I wanted to get you on just because you're far by one of the most interesting people I know. Obviously, we've, we've bonded. We've, I think we've formed a great friendship since we met last year. And um, I love how our little chats and I just thought, why not record one of those? So I know a little bit about you. I know a lot about what you do. I know a little bit about you. Obviously, I know you're happily married. I know you're a dog lover. But I don't know much about Sophia, early days, Sophia. And I know that you've endured an incredible amount. And I thought it'd be really interesting, if you don't mind, just talking a bit about that. Like, what? where were you in the formative years? How did you grow up? Have you got siblings and all that sort of stuff? Yeah. Do you know what? It's funny as well, because I got you on my podcast and you were like, hate talking about myself. And then you get me on yours. And I'm like, I love talking about myself. Um, <laughs> and like I said to you. It should be easy then, right? Yeah, it is easy for me. And like, I think the first thing that when we talk about our own past, me as well as everybody else will always be like, oh, but it wasn't that bad. And there's always someone worse off. And that's true. And it's good to know that. But it's also really important that we acknowledge what we've been through and what we've experienced um without having to be like oh but it, it you know it could have been worse so I mean I don't know how far back you want to go but I always ate weird so I was one of those children that had bizarre eating habits from a really young age I now know a lot of that was ADHD um and I also know a lot of it was that my parents had severe mental illness both of them and they just let me develop habits and behaviors. And I think another thing that's really important, because we'll probably touch on ADHD quite a bit, so much of ADHD behaviors are also pretty normal stuff that a lot of people do that don't have ADHD. So it was loads of different things combined that meant I developed really bizarre behaviors with food. And I didn't get much attention from my parents because of their mental illness they weren't emotionally available or supportive um basically <laughs> i guess i can say it they shouldn't have had kids like they weren't stable enough to support children and do you still have a relationship with your parents my dad yes and my mum and dad are still married but they've got a bizarre relationship the opposite to what i would ever want and i think when you go through stuff like that you either go the same way they did or you go the total opposite way and think I'm going to do everything you didn't do. You're the cycle breaker. 
yeah 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 but I didn't again I didn't know what that meant that was just what I chose to do when I left home at 16 um but where were we food you know, well your your diagnosis with ADHD if you don't mind was that did that you not was that you're not aware of that when you were younger that was that diagnosed later in life yeah so I was diagnosed literally like six months ago I've been oh, okay. diagnosed for a couple of months before I started talking about it online um and I knew I had it for a while because I'd been reading research and learning about it to support clients with ADHD and I was like oh but then the truth is if people read about ADHD symptoms they'll relate to loads of them but it's about how it impacts you and also how it impacted you as a child um, I was always told when I was younger that I was enthusiastic about stuff that I loved, but if I didn't enjoy something, then there was just nothing and I was disruptive. Um, I was always told I was outspoken, I was inappropriate. I would do bizarre things to get attention when I was younger. Um, what else? Oh, I had severe, at points, OCD behaviours. Um, so like again that translated into food and I would go through periods of time the only thing I would eat was cocoa pops okay yeah. and then my dad would go and buy so this is because they were struggling with their own mental illness my dad would go and buy boxes and boxes of cocoa pops because they were like oh well you've gone through periods of time of not eating so it's better that you eat something and I mean I get it but also I don't get it Mm. Um, when you mention your your parents but with their own struggles do you mind do you know what they were do they know what they are yeah so now I'm pretty sure that my dad has ADHD as well and he never knew how to understand that so that developed into he was never diagnosed bipolar he was diagnosed with depression and my mum with manic depression. Um, but he was like really happy or really sad. There was no in between. So you didn't know who was walking through the door and he had a really high pressure job and he was away from home a lot. Um, he was never violent or aggressive. And I feel like I always have to say that, but then you just couldn't talk to him about anything or you could talk to him about everything. So that was so confusing as a child because I would want to talk to him or didn't understand my own behavior. But then a lot of the time he wasn't in a place to support me with that. And then my mum had what I now know, well, think I know because she won't talk about it now, early menopause and then a mental breakdown. And she recently did actually admit that it was a mental breakdown. But at the time, she thought she had a physical health condition because obviously um, menopause and a mental breakdown, not that they always go together, but there's mental health issues that come up or can come up with menopause. She, and we know there's physical symptoms for both of those things, right? So she had all of this stuff going on, but back then, because my parents were much older when they had me, so my dad was 40 and my mum was 36 when they had me. So back then people didn't really 
because I'm 34 now, so people didn't talk about mental health. Like menopause was just brushed under the carpet. It was like you just suck it up and it's you don't yeah. speak about these things. There's, there's so many comorbidities as well with those sorts of things. As you said, uh, part of the reason why I wanted to do this podcast was actually like the complex interrelationship between mental and physical health. So for people that experience mental health difficulties, they find it manifests in some sort of physical aches and pains or lethargy or aching bones and things like that. And similarly, people that get physically injured, they suffer yeah. the repercussions of with their mental health as well. Yeah. So it's, it's entirely impossible to separate the two, which is why, sorry, I've totally interrupted you here. No, 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 no. When we speak about health and the spectrum of health is you can't just address one side of that. You have to address both, I think. Um, otherwise you aren't doing a proper job yeah and you know i know i'm I'm speaking to someone that thinks the same in that when you're working with people it's vast like you have to address both sides of it which is why i can reflect now and think with great difficulty i was only focusing on one side of that with coaching for so many years which was pretty much physical activity and just the nutrition side of things and actually people are much more complex than just that yeah, but you only get to where you are now from making those mistakes. Absolutely, I was thinking yeah. this the other day, the first few nutrition clients I had, probably for the first year, my coaching was shit. Like, I mean, I was enthusiastic. I was trying, but I had fuck all idea what I was doing. Um, but it's the best way to learn, like jump in, be honest with clients that you learn. Anyway, we're going off topic, aren't we? um that's okay. wait, wait, there, wait. Is, there is no topic this is this you are the topic so oh. anything you want to talk about it revolves around you you see I do love that but then part of me is also like oh god it's cringe but anyway no it's good it's good um so yeah mum mental breakdown um was back and forth to the doctor trying to get a physical diagnosis because she refused to accept that it was despite previously before even before having children she'd had various mental breakdowns throughout her life she wouldn't accept that's what it was she stopped working when she was hang on let's think was she maybe 50 52 um so obviously that put like financial pressure on my dad and they'd always had a really volatile relationship like arguments um, not spending quality time together um, and I mean all parents argue right that's normal but like constant literally constant um, and that put more pressure on him so they like drifted further apart she then decided to tell everyone that she had um, now I always get these two things confused there's chronic fatigue which is very much a real thing. But then there's, is it ME or MS that's similar? I'm not entirely sure, in honesty. Okay. I think so, I've, I've heard of fatigue being associated with both, but for the sake of anyone listening that does know what they're talking about, I definitely don't want to say it's definitely that one because I'm not entirely sure. So I'm trying to remember, but this was when I was like 14, 15, she basically told everyone she had a physical condition that she'd been diagnosed with, um, which she didn't. And I knew she didn't because I she'd go for these doctor's appointments, which were easy to get back then, much easier than it is now. Oh, different, different. 
different tangent that one let's not go down that road <laughs> let's not go down that road um <laughs> you know yeah it is what it is and absolutely love the nhs and gps anyway not that we need to say that but um she would go to the doctor and they'd be like look you know nothing's come up on your recent blood tests or your scans or whatever she was having but these are the sort of lifestyle interventions you can put in place. You can eat better. You can get outside for some daylight. You know, all the great stuff that most GPs do recommend to patients. And I remember being like, right, you know, let's go out. We'll do a 15-minute walk together. And then we'd get home and she'd be like, no, I'm not going to do that. And then she'd be in bed all day. And then she'd go out on an evening um she never like drank to excess but she'd like go see friends go to this tennis club that she went to and I I could never understand why she can't get out of bed in the day but she won't do these things to help herself and I guess that was when I first started understanding about self-development even though it wasn't a thing I was like well if you want to improve your health because it's bad because of choices you've made or because of genetics or because of mental health or whatever it is you have to do those things to move forward and it might be uncomfortable it might be effort but that's what you've got to do because what's the other choice like you accept it and you stay in bed all day because that's not a life anyone should want to live so then mine and my mum's relationship declined from that point because I was living and I remember people would phone up because this was when you had landlines and like as a kid you always run to answer the phone so I'd always answer and people were like oh is your mum there like how's she doing um you know like oh it's really bad and I'd be like oh, yeah well she's been out I didn't say this but I'd be like oh she's out been out four nights this week like is it that bad um and then <laughs> 10 minutes before I'd have been having a conversation with my mum and she'd be talking normally. As soon as she answered the phone, she put on this poorly voice. Now, unless her voice had declined in that 10 minutes, I mean, you never know, but I started realising a lot of stuff. And as soon as I could, I was like, I've got to go. I've got to leave. I've got to get out. I can't live. I can't see this. My parents are also... God, this is like proper trauma dump. I have had extensive therapy on all of this, which is why I'm okay talking about it. My parents are also hoarders, so you can't get in some rooms in the house. Okay. And that, now it's unmanageable to the point where I do not go in the house because I can't. Now I'm like, I can see my parents outside the house. I can't see my mum on her own. I can see my dad on his own, but quite often he brings my mum. So I have to like navigate that and have my boundaries. Um, does, it, does that still quite deeply affect you then? Do you find seeing your mum quite a triggering experience? Oh, yeah. Like I've learned so much over the last, I'd say like four years of how to stay as calm as possible. But we're all human. Mm. Like I lost my shit with her the other week because... <laughs> We'd gone, if I ever see them, it's outside. We go for a walk. We might go for a coffee, but I can't even like sit inside. It would have to be an outdoor. So even in this weather. Um, and we were queuing up for a coffee and there's some seating in this place that was full. Like 
and it's a separate outdoor coffee bit to the indoor bit and she kept being like oh well I'm gonna go find us a seat and I was like mum it's separate like you can't take a coffee from somewhere you've bought it from and sit in somewhere where you buy different coffee and she was like well of course you can it's the same park I was like no but it's different businesses like you don't do that and she just was like no but I'm gonna ask and I was like okay you go ask and then they told her no <laughs> so she came back and she was like but we'll still go sit there and I was like no we will not like so anyway I shouted at her well I didn't I like raised my voice but I've also learned so much that the only person that's impacted by my stress raising because of her is me Mm. um so yeah I left when I was 16 and unfortunately moved in too quickly with an abusive ex-boyfriend like my first relationship um how long did I live with him maybe like two years which I'm pretty sure that's how long we were together so much of this and I don't know if you're the same and I'm not sure if it's ADHD or maybe like a self-protection method but a lot of stuff from my childhood is like blank so I can remember bits and I can remember things that people have told me but a lot of it I don't know do you know if that's like a thing I think it's a very individual thing I wouldn't like to broadly say my circumstances not that this is about me it's slightly different in that I don't really remember my childhood from pretty much before 11 yeah even my younger sister now will say things that happened but I also understand from my own kind of work and therapy sessions that there's probably a good reason I don't remember everything Mm. but then I speak to people that you know seemingly had quite a happy upbringing and they like oh yeah I don't really remember that either so I, I think it's difficult to broadly say I think most people have quite vivid especially if they're happy memories or even mm. sad, or even the most traumatic and sad ones they can vividly remember that stuff but I definitely think there is this what kind of you suggested alluded to there this like self-preservation in that yeah. you know and especially with what you spoke about with your food behaviors maybe and when I speak to other people about their food behaviors is the extreme end of the spectrum and eating disorders it's never about the food it's about mm-hmm. the safety behaviors it's about the coping and the soothing that these things offer mm. i think so, for me with food it was the a lot of it was the attention so the whole time i lived at home i was diagnosed with anorexia when i was 14 and in and out of hospital um i was never like an impatient but like i'd black out and go into hospital for a day and they put me on a drip and i'd be told if you don't start eating um you know you you could end up being admitted Mm. was that attention then for you or was it control it was attention so it was if I lost weight well I got bullied in primary school for being fat um because kids are lovely (laughs) aren't they yeah um and then when I started losing weight I got positive reinforcement initially and then shock when it went too far And I think a combination of my personality, ADHD, the lack of attention from my parents, I was like, oh, if I keep losing weight, keep getting attention. But then when I was like passing out and going to hospital, 
I realised I'll have to eat more because I don't want to be admitted. Because I've always loved like the outdoors and dogs and like being outside. And I was like, oh, if I'm in a hospital bed on a drip to survive, I can't do that. And I love sports as well from a young age. So that was like my motivation to eat more. But then as we know, when you have ignored hunger and you've not given your body what it needs for so long, like probably my whole life, which, you know, I realized as I was older, I then started binge eating and I gained weight back, which then got more positive reinforcement because it was like, oh, you're healthy. But I was like, but I'm binging. And then I gained too much, well, not too much weight, but I was then overweight and then felt uncomfortable in my body. So then the bulimia started. And I think with everything that I've experienced and been through, which I know some people will be listening to this and I'll be like, fuck, like I wouldn't change one thing, not one, because I wouldn't be doing what I'm doing now. I don't think you have to have gone through all of this stuff to be a great coach at all, but it gives me a level of understanding that not everyone has. But you yeah. can still be a great coach without it. But no, absolutely. I think the depth of understanding, having experienced those things, is just very different. Same as if you've ever been in a larger body and you're coaching people pre predominantly who are in larger bodies, is your depth of understanding for them. And everything they're going through is totally unique because there's a huge element, especially when our industry especially talks fat loss, of being rationally minded about it. And even the expression like you have fat, but you're not fat. Well, that's amazing. But also, if someone's experienced a whole lifetime of being judged based on their appearance, they know that logically, but that doesn't take away from like the emotionality attached to that. So when they jump on the scales and they know that it's water weight or they know it's eating later at night, is they still feel shit about themselves based on being exposed to certain things their whole lifetime. Being logical and rational about it doesn't even really come into play. Mm. And so I, when you speak to clients now that have had similar similar relationships with food or questionable relationships with food, is your depth of understanding for them is that much greater, regardless of what the literature says? Because often the literature just reflects what you know already based on personal experience. Yeah. So I, I do think like both sides of that is really important. I do. And I think we do have to like I have to be careful. And it's something I'm in control of now. But the, just because I've had an eating disorder or eating problems, that's not an extra qualification. That's mm. not, you know, anything. But And being wary I'm, of projecting that as well onto clients, I think. Because just basing it on another, she's an eating disorder specialist. So I'm not going to name her. It's not my place to. I know she does talk quite openly about this, but based on her own illness, eating disorder and illness in the past is when she's going through difficult bouts in her life. I know she deliberately and purposefully, she will stop working with people with eating disorders. Yeah, you and can't. What happens a, to them? No, no, as a, like a self-preservation -pres thing. She has a team of people around her. I should caveat it with that. So that's her specialty. She has a team of people. But what she will do is that if she's experiencing things in her life that she knows has the potential to exacerbate her own struggles, so whether it be she's projecting her own struggles onto other clients or, oh, take, right. or taking on some of their difficulties, which she can't regulate her up when she can't regulate her own, is as a self-preservation thing, she will like, opt for them to work with someone else. So there's 
I guess there's two sides of thought with both of that. Like if you're experiencing your own eating disorders and you're working with people with eating disorders, you're too close to it. Oh you know? yeah, that is. You that can't is... be objective. No. And yeah, and I always get asked, can you fully recover from eating disorders? Until a few years ago, I didn't think you could. I thought that voice will always be there, that urge. But with what I know now, And like all the stuff we talk about, but then it's funny because I always have these conversations with my husband. And when I put like Q&A boxes up, people will always be like, oh, you're so open. Like you put everything online. Like, you know, does that affect you? And I'm like, I put nothing online compared to what goes on in here. Like what I've talked to therapists about, what I talked to my husband about, what I journal, like literally what I put online, it doesn't even scratch the surface, even if I've typed loads and gone in a really in-depth answer. Because I didn't think you could fully recover. You absolutely can, to the point where nothing triggers you. Like, it doesn't even make you think, oh, I need to be careful in that situation because in the past it did. Like, nothing. And I'm not saying I won't, something might happen in the future that does trigger me and then that's something for me to work on, right? But because, especially because I now know, and this is a question that I've asked myself, did you have eating disorders? Was it ADHD or was it both? And it's, it's both, right? Um, but hand on heart, when I was a size, because I've been a size zero, which for my build is insane I've been a size 18 and then I stopped buying clothes and I think I've got a bit bigger and I appreciate um there's people in larger bodies than that I'm not saying those numbers for any comparison but the size zero and the size 18 to 20 I hated my body at both sizes and everywhere in between because of how I was treating myself because of what I was doing and we know you could be in a physically healthy looking body, but be maintaining that through disordered eating behaviors. And I know that firsthand. So it's just really sort of eye-opening that mm. I always thought you can't properly recover. And I think so much of this does come with age. It comes with that work. It comes with calling yourself out to the point where it feels like you're punching yourself in the face. Well, that's probably the really important point, I think, there, is that it takes constant work for you and has done over many years, which I think is reassuring, possibly reassuring, or especially with a managing realistic expectations point of view to anyone listening this to this, is often just modern society and the like, day and age of Amazon Prime where it's swiped to get something the next day. This stuff takes constant work. It takes time. Like you're yeah. reflecting on a place now and forgive me if I'm putting words in your mouth where you can kind of report on these things from a place of scarring rather than being amidst the experience of it there and then and being in the middle of it, which is very different, you know, same as when we talk about mental illness and someone being in the deepest, darkest depths of depression and then claiming to be able to help other people. You're just too close to it. Whereas based on this work you've done for a number of years is you can reflect on those experiences, not to say you'll never go through them again, obviously fingers crossed, but I don't think anyone wants to, but unfortunately life has a habit of throwing us curveballs that sometimes we don't know what we're going to be exposed to. We don't know when those 
experiences of of trauma or traumatic events or something triggering will come up again so it's i think it's an awareness of i always refer to it as like a dimmer switch Mm. like with that inner critic it's not that it entirely goes away you know this is based on many things it's how critical we are of ourselves where it's based on how you feel about your body image from a day just feeling a bit insecure to go swimming to another day where you just don't want to leave the house it's it's the thought interruption it's the being aware of that's there can i pick it up can i associate it to actually what i'm truly feeling about that and can i just learn to turn the volume down on that a little bit so it's might that it might be that it never goes away entirely but i can at least manage it and regulate it to a point that i can turn the volume right down so it's not all consuming because i'm sure you work with people especially with body image as well when you're in amongst it and you're totally preoccupied by your body that's mm-hmm. all that takes up your headspace but if you I can did- learn to identify that and turn the volume down on it yeah I didn't think about anything else when I was struggling with eating disorders and then it's it's all so mad isn't it because you're totally right about that switch and then we go through so many different things and I think if people have used food or abused food or eating disorders whatever we want to say in the past you're more likely to go back to that if something does happen in the future because and again I can relate to this more recently like since I've worked with your amazing friend Emma my business has gone from like great to better than great (laughs) and I'm busier than I ever thought I could possibly be and then my default the first thing that goes for me is food like I don't make time to eat I get to lunchtime and I'm like I'll grab a protein bar and a piece of cake And then it gets to 5 p.m. and I'm like, oh, fuck, I should eat something, but Mm. I'm not going to prioritise it. So That's that safety thing again, though, isn't it? It's like, I'm familiar with this. I know this provides ease, even if it's for this little moment in time. Mm. And also it's got an element of predictability. Kind of why I think I read something recently about like a lot of the reason why when we go to Netflix and things like that, people rewatch the same things. Because they know there's an element of predictability. They know what the experience they're going to get from that. Like they don't want to risk. I know it sounds like a really abstract use of the word, but almost risk not enjoying something because trying this thing, I know how that film's going to make me feel. It's comfortable. Yeah. Music choices. I know what tracks are going to make me feel good. I don't really want to delve in and try something. No. So when yeah, life and- is overwhelming, you want an element of predictability. I mean, yes, to a certain extent, but. I think for people that have gone through eating issues, definitely for me, not for everyone, there was a huge lack of self-respect. There was a lack of self-worth. There was a, I don't matter, I'll be okay. Um, And that played out throughout my life in like relationships, friendships, situations, career decisions. Um, And... I guess that huge lack of self-worth was what was driving disordered eating as well. But I know now know a lot of that does come from ADHD tendencies because it's like you're impulsive. And I was never impulsive. I was impulsive with alcohol. Um, But a lot of people think ADHD, I was impulsive with money. Oh my God. I was thinking the other day, how much money? I have spent, wasted, literally just frittered away, thinking that I was like fucking P. Diddy or something. Was it on specific I, things or is it just on anything? Because I've I've heard of like patterns of 
are you familiar with Gabor Mate's work? He had this I thing about collecting music. So he'd, he'd always just spend frivolously on music, but that's like so, it was specifically music. No, my ADHD makes me want to look after everyone. So I would, <laughs> lived with four of my friends, had the best time. We lived in like the student area in Leeds. We weren't students. We were just acting like students. And I used to be a banker. And after that, I was then a financial advisor. And this was when, do you remember the great days of like PPI? Yes. So if anybody in Leeds had PPI, I sold it. Like I'm a salesperson through and through. Um, I just struggle selling myself and coaching, but that's a different story. Um, but well, you give me- that relates to your self-worth? Yeah. Yeah. Sorry, I, I didn't even mean to say that. That just no, fell out of my no, face no, no. now. But like, I know I'm incredible at what I do. And then part of it is the self-worth struggles in the past. And part of it's also a bit of, I guess, my ADHD overconfidence of being like, well, if people want to work with me, they'll know what I do anyway. But they don't because like people need that information about what it is you do and what you can offer and how you can help them. And again, that's what Emma's helping me with. Because, you know, for four years, I built up a coaching business without promoting coaching. I didn't ever have on my social media what I did. Like, I had clients. Sophia, you are talking to the worst person about this. I don't know whether you realised self-promotion really isn't my bag. So the fact that you're speaking to Emma is perfect. Yeah, yeah, it's funny, isn't it? But I can can attentively listen and nod my head here and go, yeah, yeah, I know what you mean. (laughs) And then I'm just like, we aren't doing humans in the world justice by not knowing what we can offer them but anyway I know we've spoke about that before um what were we saying this is another thing go off on tangents and forget what we were talking you, about you were, I think you were you're in the process of saying basically you you bankrolled your friend's lifestyle oh yeah Woo. so yeah PPI massive salesperson I was always I had to be the top of every leaderboard um I had to be the most qualified I had to earn the most money. I was working, I was working six days a week, getting up at five to be in the gym at six to power lift. And I was also studying a full time diploma in financial services. And I was going out every Friday, every Saturday. I just didn't sleep. Like I was fueled on Turning the wick at both ends. Oh, every end. Like every way you could burn it, it was burnt. Mm. And I had the best time in my life. It was amazing. I was single and with ADHD. And also because I'm very much like live your life. Like I would just go out and like get with random people, um, which I think I held a lot of shame about that in the past. And it's still not, look, it's still not something I'm proud of. Like I was single and I did what I wanted to do. Um, It's funny because obviously some of its behaviors, some of its ADHD, and it presents very differently in different people. So I've always been impulsive, but with an intense fear of illness and death, which is why I would never, I've never touched recreational drugs, even though like went through a period of time where all of my friends did, like they were all over the house. We'd go to warehouse project in Manchester and stay for the weekend, we'd go to raves. And I'd be there with a shot of vodka and a bottle of water. Everyone's fucked off their faces, having the best time. 
And because now I know being in that environment with that music was amazing for my dopamine. It was like I was on drugs anyway. I didn't need it. And I was terrified. And because I had amazing friends that I'm still friends with now, I was never pressured to take anything. Um, but yeah, so like I would get with random people, but it was like someone that I'd met on a night out and then I would never be stupid and risk getting pregnant or catching an STI. And so it was always like I was conscious, but I was still doing these things. And then I always had rules where I would never <laughs> sleep with someone from work, sleep with a friend's ex or sleep with a male friend. I think they're pretty good rules. Well, yeah. <laughs> so that always got me through, I guess, like maintaining my important friendships. Yeah, like there's nothing um, self-destructive in there. That sounds quite calculated and sensible. Not that I'm but I didn't know where that came from. It. Yeah. I didn't know where that came from because like I'd get a bonus sometimes that would be hate talking about figures with money but thousands of pounds which at the age of 23 when you're living with friends is stupid but there weren't caps there's limits on bonuses now I mean they still earn mad money they just earn it in different ways but anyway um and it would get to like Friday and like everyone would come to our house for pre-drinks and I'd have bought like all the pre-drinks, I'd have bought food. There'd be people that would be like, oh, I'm just coming to have drinks, but I can't afford to go out. And I'd be like, of course you can, I've just got a bonus. Like, <laughs> and it would just be gone that weekend, like the whole thing. And it was great. I wouldn't, I wouldn't change it. Like, mm. um. So when did you start reflecting on these things and start recognizing <laughs> maybe they weren't the most self-serving thing? Is that the best term to use? Um. I think, so I bought a house with a partner who I talk about that relationship quite a bit because it was the long-term relationship before my husband. And I was with him for like three years. We bought a house together, great guy, but just wasn't right for me. So that was difficult to leave because we had loads of friends like intertwined. We had a house, we had Apollo. Um, and I could have stayed and I'd have had a great life and he was super respectful, but he just wasn't the right person for me. And now I know he didn't get my ADHD and he made me, he suppressed me. So was I that, was... Was that just like a feeling of intuition then? You just had a gut feeling that things weren't quite right. There was a little bit of you misunderstood. Cause it's interesting because when you talk about all those things I think that there is an innate thing in all of us to be seen heard and understood on the most basic human level and mm. it seems like there were occurrences where you didn't feel that way yeah and I think I, I can I, reflect on those myself as well and I think possibly anyone listening to this can reflect on periods of their life where they desperately want to be seen and understood but haven't been yeah I just felt like there was more to a relationship like I felt like there wasn't, and there never was when I think about it, that spark and that connection. And I think at the start of a relationship, yeah, okay, we know that's probably more intense, but that should still be there within the relationship. And it's not there as often the longer you're together. This is, by the way, this is a relationship for me 
which so many people want different things in relationships and I, I know that but for me to have that intense passion and chemistry and spark that's super important and that's on an emotional communication level that me and my husband have and our relationship and our connection and our passion and chemistry gets more and more the more we communicate um like he called me out yesterday he was like you're really struggling to be present at the moment like how many men are that emotionally <clears throat> intelligent to even know what that means like he's six years younger than me as well um and he oh my god he's amazing sounds he's like so you've got a keeper yeah he's so <laughs> supportive without being suffocating hmm. like i could come home and be like and this <laughs> with adhd because he's got adhd as well <laughs> okay well that that gives him unique insight into you and what you're experiencing i guess yeah and it's not that you have to be with someone that has it if you have it like no that doesn't they just you can't be suppressed or you can but you won't ever feel free and be happy truly happy um but yeah he calls me out all the time but then he just lets me do what I want to do if I came home and I was like babe there's like 15 dogs that are rescued we have to take them he'd be like let's get in the car where are we getting them from like I can be like I want to go to the moon tomorrow and he's like right how are we getting there like he just but then he's got his own shit going on. He's got his own passions, his own hobbies. Like we I think very that's much important for relationships. Full stop is that you both got your own separate yeah. worlds as well. I think so. And like we just talk about everything. We don't watch TV. Like every night we just chat. And sometimes it's deep, but you can't have that all the time because it's too intense. Um. But yeah, he's my best friend. Like, and I. I didn't think it was possible um, to have that in a relationship. And I know, look, right, we've been together five years, so it might be a very prolonged honeymoon period. I don't know. Um, but both of us put the time and effort into our relationship. And that doesn't mean we're perfect. We both fuck up every day. But then we're like, right, fucked up. What can I do better? What do you need from me? Like, just an example. Some of my clients are into like crystals and moon ceremonies and all that stuff. And look, I love it, but it's not. And I, I get the benefits for some people. And when it was a moon day a few weeks ago, I like... Oh, Mercury retrograde. Is that what it was? I don't know. I'm joking. I've heard of that one. I, I'm not into them, but I, I've got this thing about, look, if it's placebo or not, if it's placebo, it's, it's working. If it's working, it's working. Like, but placebos you know, work. Yeah, like, exactly. You know, if, if so, doing something makes someone feel better, regardless of whether it's evidence-based, as long as it's not harmful to them, it's not harmful to anyone else, I've no issues with it at all. No. And one of my clients told me what to do for, like, the moon ceremony. So... I told him, I was like, right, I'm doing this. Do you want to do it? And he was like, yeah, fuck it. Why not? So we did this moon ceremony. It was so funny. Like, I can't even explain. So funny. But we wrote what we wanted to leave in 2022. We wrote what we were bringing in 2023. And then, like, just having someone that will, like, 
not even just to entertain it and be like, oh, you do it. But we'll be like, yeah, of course I'll try. Like, why not? What have I got to lose? Um, and it makes things very difficult because we're creative. We are passionate. We are excited. We're enthusiastic, but we're not practical. So like our oven broke and we didn't replace it for two years because we're like, well, we've got an air fryer. So we'll just use that or we'll just use the hob um and like he'll do stuff like around the house but it's not his natural you know if something's broken we'll both just look at it for a while like I've got mortgage paperwork they keep sending more stuff we've not opened I can't open it <laughs> that's like, all right I, I don't ever open my post either do you what happens to it then mine um Depends what, I don't think it's anything urgent anyway. Things like bank statements, they'll just get, they'll be in a pile. And when it comes to doing my accounts, they'll all come out at once and cause me mega stress and things like that. Your, if you don't mind me asking, so your diagnosis of ADHD as something you long-term expected, was that something, did you go to your GP or did you do that privately? Because I've heard quite a few people go private. Yeah, I had to because, well, I guess I one thing I'll never do when it comes to my health mentally and physically is wait. Um, and I say I'm lucky enough to be in a financial position. I am now that I have strict boundaries with my money and I control what I spend on. Like I sacrifice nights out to pay for Emma. I sacrifice shopping to pay for the ADHD diagnosis. Um, you know, I shop in Aldi so that I can pay for private blood tests, which I did the other week, you know, like the wait list. Priorities for you, which is different for everyone, right? Yeah, 100%. And I get that. And, you know, it's took me to get to this age to think like that. Because as we've heard in the past, I would have been drinking it away and, you know, wasting it on stupid things. But I say stupid things, but one thing I've always done hand on heart is what I thought was the best thing at the time for me for everyone around me like I've we've all as humans done stuff in the past that we wouldn't do now and the we don't like decisions we've made like that's just again as we are and I won't ever lie about that because I don't think it's helpful because people hold so much shame about their past so much resentment towards themselves and you have to be able to live with it because so much of what we've spoke about like my parents eating disorders alcohol sex all of that stuff that was still a choice I was still in control and that's all contributed to who you are now so there's no point in denying it either but no, I think that's but... that's what's so refreshing about you one of the many things that's refreshing about you is because I think especially with social media it kind of sets people up for deception they naturally fall into this like performative, I must do this because I know this will appease people or people will find this popular or I'll get likes for this or I'll get likes for that. Oh, I won't put that out there, even though I genuinely believe that and think that because it might upset people. Whereas I think he's actually crying out for more transparency. Obviously, you can't be entirely transparent. It's just not appropriate. I don't think people want to go to social media for that. Well, I but think there's some honesty should... there. There's some you candid should... conversations that are necessary. Yeah. And I think, and again, this is me, other people use social media for different things. If I'm ever struggling mentally, you won't see it on social media. I do stuff in like, 
is it called in hindsight? Reflecting back. So like I was diagnosed. Yeah, place of scar, place of scar, place of scar. Yeah, we spoke about. Yeah, because like, like you said, with eating disorders and struggles, you can't do it when you're in it. Mm. And like, we're all very much in it and going through it and learning. And like, so before my ADHD diagnosis, I was like, I know everything about my food relationship. It's in an amazing place. I eat what I want. And what was really quite I guess transformational for me was being able to diet this time last year for a photo shoot. And I was like doing loads of reflection as I did it. And it was like, why do I want to do it? What What's the purpose? All of that stuff. Like very aware of that. I'm weighing myself every day. I'm taking checking photos. So that will have an, a negative impact on body image. It can't possibly have a positive impact. Not when you diet in a healthy body. And then after I finished the diet, I just said to my coach, who's a great guy and was super supportive of the way I wanted to do things. Cause I was like, will not lose my period, will not lose my sex drive, like non-negotiable. Um, do I remember you telling me that you, you manage your own nutrition as well? Yeah. That so was one of your gave, prerequisites. Yeah. So he did my training, my check-ins, he re recommended macros, um, which were pretty much right but then occasionally I'd go over under however it was um and after we finished the diet for the photo shoot refused to call it a prep because I hate that word photo shoot diet me too I've never prepped like you've been shredded before I was just like toned which was great but yeah you've been like lean well, I think it just you can reflect on different parts of your life and just think a totally different person. Like the last time I went to those depths were so it would have been before Mila was born. And I think I did a photo shoot like four or five weeks before my last show. Mm -mm. And I got to that photo shoot and I felt great about the shoot, but mm -mm. I began to resent the process. And actually what I can reflect on now is I had no business, like for many reasons, getting into physique sport, but I hated posing. There was no part of actual the show that I enjoyed. It was more mm. the milestone that I could prove it to myself. So I guess a realisation I made at that last photo shoot was I've done what I needed to do. So for the four to five weeks after that, I hated it, hated every single moment of it, hated the show. Mila came along, big shift in priorities anyway, because there's something incredibly quite selfish when it comes mm -hmm. to bodybuilding prep. You know, I'm not a small person, dieting on 1,700 calories a day, training twice a day, going, going to the shops with Rosa for planned days out and actually being so exhausted, having to stay in the car and sleep because of the only energy I had was to get those training sessions done nothing about that was was healthy which is why i can i can admire bodybuilding for what it is yeah and weirdly if you compare that to any other sport on the planet is peak day show day performance day com competition day for any other sport is you are there to perform at your best yeah. whereas for bodybuilding it's an acceptable norm that you are the shittest you've ever possibly been you're the weakest you're probably hormonally in the, through the ground mood yeah. is through the ground there's nothing healthy about it but as a sport you know arguably 
is there anything balanced about competitive sport? There's probably not. So I can admire and appreciate what people go through, but when our industry glamorizes it or evangelizes it, I have a bit of an issue with that. Like people that do bodybuilding prep and they claim to enhance your relationship with food, enhance your relationship with body image. Uh, or cure your eating disorder yeah i mean they're, they're polar opposites they're polar opposites it's marketing spill mm. or when people use their bodybuilding to sell coaching when actually they're getting anyway that's a side tangent but yeah I yeah can... again I, uh... it's that reflecting on in hindsight and actually saying i think i have i think i am positioned or at least i think myself to be able to shit on that stuff because there's this common misconception that it's only people that anti-diet that slag off diet culture and physique competition and bodybuilding prep. Whereas I've done all that stuff. I'm not anti-diet predominantly who I work with are based on body composition goals, but I have the experience of going through that and taking a lot of people through that to be able to now shit on that and acknowledge the least healthy aspects of it. It's not healthy. Yeah. I've got like a different perspective on that. Okay. So I think bodybuilding look I don't think you're in the trenches and it's the best achievement of your life but I think what you learn on that journey if bodybuilding is all you do with it unless you go into the Olympia or um you know your whole coaching business is is bodybuilders it's a waste like the skills that you learn from that level because let's be honest discipline dedication relentless pursuit of the goal whether it's the right goal to have or not there's not many people that can do that and if you can use that in other areas of your life which is why so many bodybuilders are successful business people mm-hmm. I oh, also... yeah, I've, I've listed the, the countless negatives there but I definitely learned a whole bunch of positives so I should probably caveated that with there's loads of positives to come out of it but just not necessarily a goal I would ever revisit no 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 no, and that's fine to know and I so when I first got into the fitness industry oh my god you would kill yourself laughing I'll send you some photos sometimes at some time um I was very much living a bodybuilder lifestyle without competing because I were ever competing sport um even like with BJJ now like I just do sport for fun so I lived like a bodybuilder for fun is that because you you have a feeling about the tendencies it will bring out in you because I'm so competitive, I'd have to be mm. the best, the leanest, win everything. And I just don't have the headspace or the capacity for that with my business and with mm. me prioritizing my marriage and dogs. Um, That's not to say people couldn't do everything I'm doing and compete if they want, like whatever. But I just, yeah, it's my downtime. So anyway, this is like nine years ago when I had disordered eating to maintain a lean physique. But like I would never then say and obviously I say you know if you're a lifestyle person why would you want to live like a bodybuilder like you need to learn how to live your lifestyle and maintain a healthy body weight like that's what you need to focus on learning and I massively believe that and I went through a period of time where I was like bodybuilding is full of dickheads and they're all stupid not in those words but sort of that message and now I'm like but that was a part of my life that took me to where I am now and Mm. I have so many friends that are bodybuilders my husband used to be one like I've seen and again some people will be like oh it's not impressive but he works 12 hour shifts 
and he used to do a lot of overtime like now we're prioritizing our marriage like it's not as much but he would get up at 3 a.m to do an hour of cardio get showered and be at work for five work 12 hours with a physical job and then go to the gym train do more cardio after come home go to bed and do the same thing over and over again and this was when we just got together so we were very much in like the honeymoon the actual honeymoon part of our relationship he was still like being able to prioritize me to a certain extent and seeing someone do that again and again and again you can't not be like well this human is capable of amazing things mm. like and now he's not he still kind of lives like a bodybuilder but doesn't compete anymore and that's he might compete again he'd have my full yeah. support if he wanted to because I love it I thrive off that like we're doing this we're doing that we're having the routine and for me I don't want to live like that and with the diet that I did last year I can almost flick a switch and it's like right we're going I'm actually starting dieting um either the end of this week or next week whenever because I've got a new coach whenever my program comes through because I've got another photo shoot I've got loads of photo shoots booked and I just whatever my body is at that stage like that's how I look yeah. I've got one in a couple of weeks that I won't have even really dieted for and that's not the point of it I think that's the difference and I think that's like great that you have that and your husband has that and that's I think that's kind of why I like to stress that especially with my messaging it's not that I think anyone should have any specific goals everyone has experienced their own everyone has a right to their goals I think it helps from an understanding point of view where the motivations and drivers for those goals come from mm. but also that you can disassociate from that at the end of that process like that is a goal that I've dealt with and now I can focus on something else or I continue to do that but I maintain it in and amongst the life challenges that I'm experiencing but I think what we see are that the two extremes, like the two pendulum swings quite often, the people mm -hmm. that are stuck in it because they're in these disordered patterns. They don't know a way out yeah. so as a justifiable means. And um, I think you were talking about earlier, talking about um, like what your eating disorder gave you. And I think people have the same in terms of how they view success. People that throw themselves into work, people that throw themselves into slightly controlled behaviors around food. But a lot of this is kind of societally driven. And I think it's as long as you can separate yourself from what the yeah. external is telling you and those drivers come internally, I think that's the most important thing. That comes with life, though. Like yeah, life that definitely that definitely comes with experience. And like I'm saying all that as someone that did all these things that I'm now shitting on. Uh, yeah. 10, you don't shit on it badly. Like, I'm not saying that. But it's like when I finished the diet last year, like stopped with my coach and I remember so we went out for a meal after the photo shoot and I was like I'm gonna eat whatever I want and then I was like well I've not got a coach I'm not tracking calories now because straight away I wasn't gonna reverse diet I wasn't gonna keep weighing myself I was like I just go back to everything I was doing before I started this diet because I know that works for mm. me um and then I was like I can eat whatever I want when we got to this cafe which has gorgeous food and I was like, but then I could come back to the cafe tomorrow and eat whatever I want. And then the day after. So like, I was so aware that like my hunger hormone would be high, like leptin would be low. 
So when I'd eaten a meal and then I had the urge to eat more, which with ADHD and ADHD and food relationship, oh my gosh, it's insane. But I get dopamine from food like a lot of people do. So when I eat a meal, quite often, if I'm not busy, I'm like, oh, I want something else. I want more because it felt great to eat tasty food. But then just sitting with that and understanding that you don't have to then act on it, but you can. Like that full permission to eat is so powerful. So then like I'd get some chocolate after the photo shoot and have it mindfully, as mindfully as possible, and be like, you can eat more after if you're done, but just eat this slow and taste it. And then quite often at first I'd go get more, but that reduced over time. And then I said to myself, like, do you want to diet again? And what will it add? And for me, (laughs) this sounds, I guess, like maybe big headed or vain. I like the fact that I could have abs if I want. And I know that if for whatever reason, while I'm doing a diet for a photo shoot, if I decide actually it's not the right thing, it's not serving me, it's adding more stress and pressure, which funnily, the busier I am, the easier it is to stick to a diet. Um, I'll pull that plug and I'll still do the photo shoot and feel incredible and look incredible because mm. my worth isn't attached to those abs, but it's like just lifting up your top and it's like, that's cool. Like not that bothered crack on. Yeah, um, I, th- I think that sounds incredibly actually, empowering. I don't think that sounds arrogant at all. I think that's that heightened self-awareness that you have. And like all of us is we all have this personal choice, this agency that comes with that. And something that's not really spoken enough about, I don't think, in our industry is just changing your bloody mind. Is there's nothing wrong with committing to yeah. a process, actually realizing that process, whatever it is, training for a powerlifting competition, training for a BJJ comp, dieting for a photo shoot, and actually getting along the line and just because you've told a few people about it change your mind if it's negatively yeah exactly if it's negatively impacting you um but i also think there's incredible power in that in knowing that about yourself and your ability because i mean i've i'm having to lose weight for bjj comps over the next couple of months but i i talk about the negatives but i want to talk about the positives as well and i think i can do that based on experience because of if anyone does come into coaching and especially people that i speak to whether it's talks I give or online or anything like that is I think it's only ethical coaching practice that people know the pros and cons and that is informed choice from Mm -hmm. that they can take what they they need to but I think unfortunately because of the nature of social media is no one likes the unsexy gray they want the polarized extreme which is why we see so many characters that have massive audiences that say quite absolute things all the time yeah there's some gimmick attached to it And like, you know, and I know, hand on heart, it's healthier for me to not diet. Like courses, dieting isn't healthy. Like if you're in a larger body. Controlled starvation, right? Yeah. But if you're in a larger body and you want to lose body fat, temporarily dieting to get to that point might be healthier for some people. But dieting for most people, if we look at people dieting, probably not it's not healthy to do long term anyway because you're literally denying your body what it needs Mm. to survive um so yeah and but i'm prepared to restrict calories for five months i mean you should see the girl i'm doing the shoot with she's fucking 10 out of 10 like i'm well excited 
Um, <laughs> and I don't need to diet to look amazing in the outfits yeah. or the shoot that we're doing. And it, it won't make me feel more confident. I felt more confident in the shoot that I did more recently where I was eating cake, where I wasn't shredded. Like I was, don't like the word soft, but I was in my day-to-day -day body felt more body confident because I hadn't been checking my body every day in the mirror or weighing myself every day. I just turned up. Mm. So well, that's the big difference. I was as well, more isn't confident. It? It's about recognizing mm. the positives that you're taking out of the experience. And because you're doing it for you at the end of the day, again, which is the empowering thing. I think just unfortunately a lot of people embark on these journeys for all the wrong reasons. And we won't go into it today, but like certainly aligning with your own personal values and the things that you really get joy out of in life, sacrificing all those things. Because I think there's there's always compromises. If you're going to diet healthily, there's always a compromise, right? If you want to achieve anything in life, want a more successful business, there are compromises along the way. But I think when you start teetering on the edge of sacrifices, I think sacrifices, especially if they're long-term, lead to longer-term resentment. Because depends on the person though surely because some people would see sacrifice so like for the next i don't know how long it is photo shoots in may however long four months is it five months i don't know but i'll be prepared for friends to be like do you want to go for food and i'll be like could we go for a walk instead or hmm. actually no i'm not going to come is that a compromise because it's a definitive end date to that so it's not like you're committing to that for the next year yeah i think knowing that it's short term is so good for me because I'm like, I can go into robot mode mm. for that amount of time. I can eat out of Tupperware for that amount of time. Like part of it as well, I'm like, is it my ADHD? And I'm like, no, because I always have control whether it is ADHD or not. Um, and unfortunately we know, and again, I don't have to do it for this, but lean photos, People go mad for them on social media. So part of me likes having them to then post them and be like, more people will read this caption because I've got abs or because I've got obliques popping out. And what does that tell us about the world we live in? Mm -hmm. um, it's interesting. I know, I know I'm making that a better place in general, but then we're all a bit vain. Like, Yeah, and I've got, no, do you know what? I've got no problem with... Well, no issues with any of it. People present themselves how they want. But I think there's something more insightful about acknowledging this for what it is and owning it. I think it's when you've got like this deceptive mask that people put on it, like um I'm trying to think of an example. So so for example, it might be that, oh, I've grown this Instagram audience of 500,000 followers based on my extensive knowledge, but every picture of my grid is of mm. me half naked. It's like, yeah. look, let's just own the fact that being half naked has contributed to that a little bit. Yeah. Own it, accept it for what it is, because it's a visual platform. Mm. Not everyone's there for the education. No, of course not. And I know that. Like, again, we've spoke about this. Like, I, when I put photos up like that, whether I've dieted or whether I've not dieted, if I'm in my underwear, I will get messages from, like, dodgy messages from males it's never females um messages calling me fat and um, messages calling me ugly um people are gross oh they are and it's fine like it i mean me 15 years ago would have then 
probably gone and binged and made myself throw up. Mm. So I'm glad I get it and people don't. But that's not the point. Like the point is you could be in anybody and people will always have something to say. And you can't control that, but you can control how you respond. And in the past, I would have binged, I'd have made myself sick, I'd have gone on dating apps, I'd have slept with a dickhead, I'd have gone and drank loads of alcohol to numb. Because I'm like, oh my God, that one person thinks I'm fat and ugly. Mm. You know, one Even person- Even though you've got on. 99 other positive comments on there. Yeah. And it's like, you always, we know that, what's it called? Negativity bias or something? Yeah. I think we're, we're all naturally inclined and programmed to be a little bit more. I think it takes a little bit more conscious effort to be optimistic. I don't think, especially these days in with the state of the world and everything else, it takes a real conscious effort to be positive and be a little bit more optimistic. See, I don't, I disagree because yeah. I think when you're in that headspace, why would you not do everything to maintain that? Like I don't watch the news. I don't like, if someone starts a conversation that I can tell is going to trigger me, I've got no issues with being like, obviously not if it's a client, like they get to talk to me about whatever they want. But like, for an example, if I'm in the gym, um, people come talk to you because you see them in there all the time. I'll have a chat, but pretty much I want to get in and out. Um, but you know, when someone comes over and they're like, oh, um, what are you, are you bulking at the moment? Or are you dieting at the moment? You know, something that I'm just like, why do I even want to talk about my body to mm. someone I don't know? Um, straight away, I don't have any issues of being like, sorry, in a rush, might see you next week. Like with my mum, like I have boundaries. I will not do certain things that compromise those. And look, I do not wake up every single day buzzing my tits off, but most days I do. Most days I genuinely like hand on heart so excited to talk to my clients so excited to have one-to-ones so excited to chat to you on this I'm going to BJJ so excited to see my friends there got a client this afternoon so excited to see her and like I created that all the shit that's happened I could be like that shit's ruined my life mm. And you don't have to go through shit to be positive, but most people have been through shit. And we're only learning now that emotional abuse is abuse. Like, you know, and again, we've not even touched on it, but like abusive relationships aren't someone beating you up. I mean, they are, but there's other forms of abuse. Like you can be raped by a partner um, and think, oh, well, it's my boyfriend and I didn't want to have sex, but he forced me. And that's right. Like, we've only just learned that the last few years but it doesn't mean you have to go digging all this trauma to upset yourself it's then you dig it you deal with it and you'll always be dealing with it because it will display itself in so many different ways different relationships friendships career so you deal with it but then you decide what type of person do I want to be and how do I want to live my life and how am I going to do that and I don't have on paper money wise I have way less than what I had when I was a banker when I was a financial advisor I've got my husband's old car I wear his clothes I could afford my own and I do afford my own but like I don't need that I need my dogs we live in a two-bedroom apartment that's in a beautiful village in the countryside we can't afford a house here like you know it's 
I'm all for living smaller anyway. I think most of us have very basic, simple needs. Um, yeah. I don't, I don't know whether that's something that changes with the age as well. I still have I, friends that are caught up in that material world. And I'll give this account of, he won't listen to this anyway, but a friend, um, he's very much, I won't say what industry, but he's of that, works in the city of that industry. And because it is natural conversation to talk about bonuses, holidays, what you spent on what. We were talking about having a, it was like an evening out and um, he went, oh, you haven't noticed my new watch. And then I looked at it and I was like, do you know what? It's, it's a lovely watch, but you know, my knowledge, I'm a little bit ignorant to it. I can acknowledge it's a lovely watch, but in terms of a concept of how much it would be, I would have no idea. He told yeah. me that like, it's not relevant for me too, but a lot more than I would ever spend on a watch. Let me tell you. And he actually turned around. He said, it's so refreshing not to feel competitive and ha- worry about someone noticing that. I thought for a second, although like in terms of monetary wealth, he has lots. They don't go without him and his family of anything. I actually thought that's a bit of like a sad existence that you're having interaction with so-called friends and you've got to worry about someone yeah, valuing your watch and associating it with how much money you make. When it wasn't deliberate for me, I didn't notice it. I just didn't notice it because I'm ignorant to that stuff. But I just hadn't noticed this watch. And I, some people are money driven and that's, and Emma wishes I was more. Um, but like, I think again, it comes to values and there's nothing wrong. Like my husband is more materialistic than me. Um, he likes designer clothes. He likes cars. Um, and he's like, I guess, got that to a, better level for him since we've been together not that I've made him he's just got older and he's like oh fuck like we have a house and we have dogs that cost so much money like what why are they so expensive I feel like the vets try and rip you off every time you have to visit a vet for something as well it's like 50 quid to open the door like yeah yeah well it's 100 for you down south everything's so I'm just talking about nursery fees out there no we're not talking about nursery 80 quid a day are you shitting me yeah so although I, I i have one day a week off with jacks my youngest and I, I always wanted that that was like i think one of the bare basics of being self-employed there's got to be some perks right so i i, I have a thursday off that's our boys day and i did the same with mila like i had a friday off with mila we'd go to like base jump the trampoline park or we'd go for brunch or we'd just go to the local play pit or we'd just go to the local park. It doesn't have to involve spending money, but I thought as I'm self-employed, the one commitment I can make is spend a day with my kids while they're young before they go to school. But actually it it offers two things now, saving money for a day as well, which I never (laughs) thought it would be, but it's just, yeah, it is ridiculous. I feel like that's a whole separate conversation. If that, um, yeah, you do choose to be, and as you are as a dog mum, uh, two full-time, because you can't leave dogs for too long on their own either. No. If, you, if you were both out of the house all day, every day, you know, you then got to look at boarding, which is what you do, your dogs. And this end, I believe, last time we checked, we looked to go on holiday, was like 60 quid a night. Yeah. I mean, so I know, charge. So I'm out pricing myself for new clients now because I've just got my regular clients. Don't ever put prices up for them but I don't want new dog boarding clients. It's mm. it's hassle. I do not know how people do it as a full-time business. You get paid. When you actually look at what you get paid, 
for people's dogs that often every dog has its quirks apollo is a fucking nightmare like we can't <laughs> go away we've got one woman that can look after him huskies do it if you've got the time and the patience mm. um but yeah it's hard to make money from and you have to have multiple dogs which means the ones you've got aren't getting proper care which i wasn't prepared to do that which is why i only take one dog at once um but yeah i was thinking about kids then and talking about why i don't want them and that i've realized recently part of that is adhd part of it is my mom but that's a whole other tangent well, I, I mean, I would never pry into that, but if you'd be happy to talk about that, perhaps we can do it another time because I didn't even realise, but we've been talking nearly an hour and 15, an hour and 20. I just saw that and I'm like, God, I need to go to BJJ. <laughs> well, I'll let you go on that note because we haven't even got on to talking about BJJ, which is no, amazing, we really. We've referenced it a couple of times, but thank you so much for your time. I think there's so much for people to take away from that conversation. And as I said, like this wasn't necessarily... And it isn't really a podcast with like real intent in, or agenda. I just want to get interesting people on here to talk and just have candid conversations. So um, I think we definitely achieve that. If people do want to find out a little bit more about you, where can they go, Sophia? Um, probably the best page, page, place is Instagram. My website's horrendous. Please don't go on that. It needs changing. Um, so, yeah. Sophia underscore Apollo underscore nutrition. But yeah, anything we've chatted about that people relate to or like I've said something and it's made people think, just open up conversations because more than happy to talk about anything, clearly. <laughs> yeah, thank you so much for your time. And if you have listened to this and you do, or you've watched it even, you do like it, subscribe so you don't miss any others rate it share with friends that all that stuff's helpful especially if you're not insta famous it's the only way it reaches more ear holes so thank you so much for your time again i really appreciate you it's a pleasure i appreciate you too i'll be seeing you soon as well won't i absolutely